0: Like Val said last week, we took a break from 1 Samuel. Uh, this year, we're back. This week, we're back in it. So, turn in your Bibles to First Samuel 15. The theme of our study is seeking a heart after God's heart. And this morning, we learned that the first king of Israel, King Saul, failed to have a heart after God's heart, and we learned that. The primary reason that we know that he failed to have a heart after God's heart was because he failed to follow God's will. So this morning our theme is, how do we seek after God's heart through seeking His will? You know the number one question I get from people when they're wanting to get together with me and talk about life? Number one question. Guess what it is? How do I know God's will? How do I find God's will for my life? And you know what they're always surprised to hear? When I tell them it's just not that complicated. To give you an idea of what I'm talking about, let's say that I wanted to make a certain kind of cookie. How do I know God's will related to making this certain kind of cookie? Well, There's a recipe, there's instructions. I wanna make chocolate chip comfort cookies. What's God's will related to making those cookies? Follow the directions, follow the recipe. Now what if I decide I'm gonna partially follow the recipe? What, What if I just feel like instead of putting in two teaspoons of baking soda, I put in two teaspoons of baking powder? By the way, I've done that. It doesn't make for good cookies, right? It makes for miserable cookies. But when you follow the directions, you get tasty cookies. Another example of how do we know God's will for building a certain playground for our children? Now, you may not be able to see that top box and those words uh, in a little margin there, but it says safe play zone, Now, what if I decide to follow the directions partially, and I don't follow the instruction for the safe play zone, and as a result, the swings are too close to a tree or to a bush? It could be disastrous for the child. But if I follow the instructions completely, the children are going to have fun, and they're going to be safe. We follow God's will because He loves us. And because His will, Romans 12, 2 says, is a good will. It's an acceptable will, easy to embrace. And it's a perfect will. It's good for us. Well, the context of 1 Samuel 15 is one of Israel's enemies, the Amalekites, are about to attack Israel. Now God promises Saul that God is going to give Saul and Israel the victory. But he also gives clear instructions. Saul and Israel are to destroy, to put to death every living thing among the Amalekites. Now. Let's pause for a second. Why would a God of love and mercy give such instructions? Well, primarily because God is not just a God of love and mercy. God is also a God of justice. And so God tells Israel to destroy her enemies because he's punishing sin and unbelief. And the annihilation of Israel's enemies in the Old Testament was a prefiguring of the final judgment. There is going to be a final judgment. And there is no escape from God's wrath apart from fleeing to the Savior, the Messiah, the only one who can deliver us from God's wrath. So if you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus, transfer your trust, repent of your sin, and hope in the promise of God through Christ. The picture of Saul destroying the enemy was a prefiguring of God's judgment. He was supposed to carry it out. Now, the other reason why God told Israel and Saul to destroy the enemy was to protect them, to protect them from future temptation that would come to them through the idolatry of the pagan peoples. God didn't want them to go after other gods. The only way that was going to happen when enemies were conquered was to destroy the enemy and their idols so that Israel's heart wouldn't be led astray. So Saul goes up against the Amalekites with Israel. According to God's promise, they do in fact win the victory. But we learn that Saul only partially obeys God. Saul only partially fulfills God's instructions. And as a result, Saul is rejected as king. So this morning we learn from Saul's negative example, from Saul's failure, how we, by grace, can grow in having a heart that seeks after God by following after God's will. Let's all stand out of reverence for God's Word. Follow along with me as I read 1 Samuel 15, verses 7 to 23. This is God's Word. And Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive. And devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agog, and the best of the sheep, and of the oxen, and of the fattened calves, and the lambs, and all that was good, and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless they devoted to destruction. The word of the Lord came to Samuel, I regret that I have made Saul king. For he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry, and he cried to the Lord all night. And Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, and it was told Samuel, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself and turned and passed on and went down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed be you to the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears, and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep. Of and of the oxen, to sacrifice to the Lord your God. And the rest we have devoted to destruction. Then Samuel said to Saul, Stop, I will tell you what the Lord said to me this night. And he said to him, Speak. And Samuel said, Though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. And the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go. "...devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord?" And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took the spoil, sheep and oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices As in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, He has also rejected you from being king. May God bless the hearing and teaching of his inspired, infallible, inerrant, and authoritative word. This is God's word. He gave it to us because he loves us and he wants wants us to follow his will that we might experience that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's pray. Lord, lead us, guide us, teach us, and open our hearts and minds. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So we're going to look at three guidelines for following God's will that flow from the text. First of all, follow God's will by following Scripture. I'm going to say this during this point almost ad nauseum, but all I'm doing is repeating what the text tells us. Again and again and again and again and again. God equates Following his will with simply following his word. Look at verse 11. God says, Saul has turned his back from following me and has not performed my commandments. Look, if you're here this morning and you're stressing over finding God's will in a certain area of your life, most of God's will is right here in black and white. God says, you want to know my will? Know my word. You want to follow my will? Follow my word. Look at verse 19. Why did you not obey the voice of the Lord? The voice of the Lord is the word of God. The word of God is the will of God. We don't find God's will through impressions. We don't discover God's will through opinions or fleeces or tests, we find and follow God's will through the voice of the Lord, which is simply the word of the Lord. God's not done. Look at verse 22. Has the Lord as great delight in sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Now, listen, I do understand what people are asking me when they say how do I find God's will with respect to who I marry? How do I find God's will with respect to where I work? How do I find God's will with respect to which house to buy, where to live? Those are the hidden elements of God's will. What God says is stop worrying about the Hidden elements of finding my will and be concerned with the revealed elements of my will, which is my word. If you're consumed with the word, God will direct you into his hidden will. God's hidden will is not something that we are to divine through tea leaves or chicken guts or whatever Christians do to try to discern God's will. We are called to respond to His revealed will. There's a verse in Deuteronomy 29 that's really interesting. Deuteronomy 29, 29. It says, the secret things, the hidden things, belong to the Lord our God. But the things revealed belong to us. Listen now, baptism. Belong to us and to our children Forever. How are you seeking God's will in a certain area and you're trying to divine His hidden will? God says, no, that's not how it works. Be consumed with my revealed will and follow it. And my hidden will will simply fall out. See, God's word's not going to have a name of who you're supposed to marry. God's word is not going to have a company for which you are to work. God's word is not going to have an address where you're supposed to live. God's word won't tell you who to marry, but it has a lot to say about relationships. God's word won't tell you specifically where to work, but his word has a lot to say about vocation. God's Word won't tell you which house to buy or which car to drive, but there's a lot in His Word about stewardship. Are you willing to become a student of the Word and follow the Word to follow God's will? In verse 23, he says to Saul, you've rejected the Word of the Lord. To reject God's Word is to reject God's will. Let me ask you, if you're seeking God's will in a specific decision, looking for that hidden secret will, are you currently following God's revealed will, his word? I'm amazed at how many folks have no interest in following God's word, but they still want to seek God's will with respect to some decision in their lives. God's will is primarily His word. Don't worry about the secret. Worry about the revealed. The more you know of God's word, the more you know of God's will. The more you know of God's revealed will and follow it, the more confident you are that you'll be experiencing the hidden, perfect, acceptable will of God. How much of the word do you know? What again, if I'm baking a cake and I have only partial directions? I have a partial list of ingredients, and there's nothing that tells me what the oven's to be preset for. There's nothing to tell me how long to cook or anything like that. The cake is going to be a disaster. The less we know of God's revealed will, the more likely our lives are going to be a disaster because we're only dealing with partial directions. Read God's Word, folks. Don't worry about the secret elements of God's hidden will. Be consumed with the revealed elements of God's will, and that is the Word of God. Read, learn, study Scripture, alone, with groups, at church, whichever way you can. Follow God's will by following Scripture. Secondly, follow God's will by refusing compromise. Look at verse 13. Saul comes out to Samuel and says, Blessings! I've performed the commandment of the Lord. Saul actually thinks that he's followed God's will. When in fact, he gave in to compromise. Several examples of compromise in this text. Look at verses 8 and 9. He compromised by allowing the king of Amalek to live. His name was Agag. Verse 8, he took Agag alive. Verse 9, they spared Agag. Now, who knows why Saul and the people spared Agag? It may be that they were not willing to put their hope and trust in God alone to protect them, and they wanted to form an alliance with Agag and all of his own allies so that Israel would have sort of something in their back pocket if things got a little testy. Or maybe Agag was from a very wealthy family, and he knew very wealthy people, and Saul and Israel were sort of hoping to pad their pockets. When it comes to compromise in your own life, how are you tempted to compromise by hedging your bets regarding needing to be desperately dependent upon God? Or how are you tempted to compromise because of material things or wanting to control your own security rather than trusting God? And then in verse 9, we see a second compromise. They, they only destroyed the worthless animals, the best animals they kept from themselves. How might you be tempted to compromise by giving God the leftovers and seeking the best for yourselves? And then we learn that compromise will increase as we fail to repent of our compromise and we begin to blame shift and excuse make and get defensive. Samuel exposes Saul. And in in verse 14, Samuel exposes Saul. And then in verse 15, Saul blame shifts. Look what it says, they've brought them. The people, they brought the sheep. They spared the best of the sheep and the oxen. Now, even if it's true that it was the people and not Saul directly, then we see another cause of compromise in many of our lives, and that is we fear people. We fear the opinions of others. And rather than following God's will and His Word, we give in to the fear of other people's opinions or approval. And then it says that they spared the best to offer sacrifices to the Lord. The rest we have destroyed. Notice how... Saul makes an excuse, a religious excuse, to try to justify his partial obedience. How are you tempted to compromise by covering your partial obedience with some religious excuse? We see very clearly in this text when, in verse 18, Samuel says the Lord sent you on a mission and in verse 20, Paul says, Saul says, I have gone on the mission. We learn in this text clearly that partial obedience is disobedience. Selective obedience is disobedience. Partial obedience and selective obedience is compromise. Look, I'm tempted to compromise. We're all tempted to compromise and we all have our reasons for being tempted so look at verse 19 and see a great question why did you not obey the voice of the lord in other words why did you compromise and that is a great question don't pass over that too quickly stop ask yourself why did you compromise or right now as you're seeking to follow god's will What is tempting you to compromise? Is it fear? Is it control? Is it insignificance? Is it insecurity? Is it boredom? Is it pleasure? Why are you tempted to compromise? Answer that question. Why did you not obey the voice of the Lord? And then look at verse 20. I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. After being confronted four times... Saul still says, I've done what I was called to do. So here's another option when it comes to compromise. And this is the scariest of all. You're just blind to it. How might you be living in compromise right now? And you're just blind to it. Watch out. When you don't follow a cake direction the result is disaster. When you don't refuse to compromise and give in, the result is disaster. Now, there is one final option, and this may be the right option, and that is Saul was just hardened. He was hardened toward God. And one reason you may be struggling with compromise is your heart just might be hard. Toward God. Now, the beautiful thing is we have a Savior whose arms are outstretched even toward compromisers. But He calls us to open our eyes, to see our compromise, to repent according to God's Word, and to believe the gospel promises. And then seek to refuse compromise. You want to be a man or a woman after God's own heart? Refuse compromise. Repent of it. Believe the gospel for joy and power. And then fight to follow God's will. Follow God's will by following Scripture. Follow God's will by refusing compromise. Thirdly, follow God's will by choosing love. This is such an easy point to communicate. Finding God's will is not a discovery process. It's a love process. You want to know what you need to do to follow God's will? Choose to love Him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Christianity above everything else is a relationship. The Bible ultimately is not an instruction manual. It's love letters from a father who deeply cares for us. And obedience is not duty. Obedience is a response of love to the one who loves us. Verse 11, I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me. That word regret actually means pained, grieved, saddened, brokenhearted. Those are all relational terms. God is not the cosmic moralist that just cares about behaviors. God Cares about a heart of love responding to His heart of love. And when we refuse to follow God's will, God is pained like a parent is pained when a child chooses something that is bad for them. You don't love that child any less, but you are pained. God is telling us here in this text that following God's will is not a discovery issue, it's a love issue. What would love do? In verse 15, there's an interesting verse, an interesting change of words. Look at it real closely. Saul says, we spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice, listen now, to the Lord your god interesting why doesn't it say the lord my god why doesn't saul say the lord my god why doesn't saul say the lord our god because saul lost his first love just like the church in revelation i have this against you jesus says you have lost your first love Jesus says much the same thing related to love and following God's will. In John 14, 21, Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey me. Now, Jesus is not saying, if you want to prove that you love me, well, doggone it, obey me. No. Jesus is simply stating a gospel truth. If you love me, The result will be that you will obey me. Following God's will always springs from a heart of love. You see, this is why repentance for the Christian can't merely be behavioral. Okay? It's not what we do that primarily needs to be changed, it's who we are that needs to be changed. And you can change your behavior, but you can't change who you are. It's who you are that needs to be changed, it's your heart that needs to be changed. And that's why we need a Savior. It's always a love issue. Before we can have our behavior changed, our love for God needs to increase. And only God can increase the love in our hearts for him. When Peter had denied Jesus three times, Jesus reinstated him by asking him three times, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And so if you're trying to figure out God's will and a decision you're facing, there's really only one question to ask. Do you love God? Luther put it best. He said, love God and do as you please. Now, he he wasn't being flippant about following God's will. He's actually just putting into different words what Jesus says. If you love me, You will obey me. Love God and do as you please. Don't lose all kinds of sleep over these decisions. You've got Scripture. You can follow God's revealed will with all the principles and wisdom. Refuse compromise. And then choose love. Love God and do as you please. He's sovereign. He'll guide you. But the fact is, we got to face it. None of us knows God's word perfectly. And none of us follows it perfectly, not even close. All of us compromise. Look at, look at this slide of one of God's greatest men. See what that is? It's Moses. God gave Moses his will. He revealed his will through his word. He said, Moses, speak to the rock. What's Moses doing? Helping out, God. I'll show these people. I'll put some passion into it. I'll not only speak to it, I'll strike it. Remember what God said? You did not treat me as holy. You're not going into the promised land. If someone even like Moses, compromised. We know we do too. And who loves God perfectly? Not even David, the man after God's own heart, loved God perfectly. And that is why we need a Savior. That is why we need Jesus. Only Jesus was the King who perfectly knew God's Word and followed it. Only Jesus refused compromise only Jesus perfectly loved God and so it is to that Jesus me we must run in our sin in our compromise in our blindness and in our lack of capacity to love God and this savior when you run to him will cover your compromise he won't reject you like he rejected Saul he welcomes you with open arms He will change your heart, and he will give you a love for God. Because if you love God, the gospel truth is you will end up obeying God. I don't know about you, but I need Jesus this morning. Let's pray. Lord, if there's anybody here this morning that doesn't know Jesus, we pray that today would be the day of their repentance. And their faith, their hope in the promises of the gospel. Father, for those of us who are wrestling with finding your will, we pray we get in your word more. Not as a performance, not to gain points, but because your word is your will. Lord, if we're tempted with compromise or we already have compromised, Lord, grant us grace. And then, God, above all things, would we simply love you? Would, would we put love for you even at the foundation of everything that we do? Because if we love you more, we will follow your will. Come, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand. Hear the benediction. The promise of Christ's enabling power and his transforming love. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God, our Abba Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit in its transforming power be with you now and always. Amen.